So I think, I mean, I look around, I feel like I know all of you, but I'm Jackie. I um, go to the Tuesday evening study, and uh, I'm really excited to be here. But I have to say, I've had a morning. I feel like I've had a whole day right up till now, and so we're going to pray again because I need it. Father God, we just come before you this morning, and I do, I pray, I thank you, God, that we can be here. I thank you, God, that you have a message for us, and I pray, Lord, that as, as, as it goes out, that I'm not bound by the, the things written on my paper, but by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that it's not my voice that's heard, but your word, your spirit, your truth, Father God, and the things you want for us to have today. Um, I thank you for your faithfulness when we're not, even though we're not. I thank you for your love, your care, your concern for us, Lord, and I just lift this time up to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. So today's passage is Romans 14, 13 through 17. So I'm just going to jump right in to, to verse 13, and it begins with a therefore. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Don't you think that could just be enough? <laughs> Amen! Go to your groups. What a word. I mean, <laughs> we're, stop passing judgment on one another. And we know that, therefore, is to remind us of where we've been. Paul is giving us a cue to remember what we've learned, to take a glance back and to remember the lessons in the first part of 14, because today we're going to get some new orders. But we need to have perspective of where we've been to understand why he's asking us where to go. So let's look at what the therefore is there for. Angela shared verses 1 through 16, and in that we learned... This isn't an exhaustive list. There were so many other things. Um, we are to be accepting and not judging of one who is weak in the faith. There is no place for quarreling among believers over the non-essentials. The weaker should not regard with contempt a fellow believer who exercises their liberty. Our non-essential liberties and convictions are between us and the Lord. And that we need to make sure that we're honoring God in our liberties and not just running around exercising our freedoms. In verses 7 through 12, we learned, well, hopefully we knew it already, but it was just a reminder. <laughs> but um, we're not to live for ourselves. Yes, Janet pointed out there is an aspect of self-living. We get ourselves out of bed. We put our clothes on. We go do, we go do the things. But we need to remember that we don't live for ourselves. And we need to remember who we do live for. We are called to live for the Lord and die for the Lord. Jesus, Janet, Janet, sorry, I didn't mean to call you Jesus. <laughs> Just like last week, you're like, I don't write the commentaries. <laughs> Janet asked us a couple of questions that are good to remember and ask ourselves regularly to get us thinking relationally specifically with other believers in church society. One, how am I personally living and loving? And two, am I doing unto the Lord? Such good things to self-evaluate. Another thing Janet said, and let me say, both Janet and Angela's messages were so good. If you missed them, you have to go back and hear them. Watch them. You get to watch them now. Go back and watch them. 
Um, anyway, okay, so Janet made a powerful statement. She said, if we can't demonstrate him to other believers, then how will we be able to demonstrate him to the world around us? Ladies, you feel we in that? If you can't show each other who love and profess Jesus, if you can't show each other love, grace, mercy, and concern, how on earth can you show him to the world we're called to minister to? We were reminded last week that we need to be accepting of the weaker brother or sister because Jesus accepted them and he paid the ultimate price by dying a sinner's death and raising from the dead to be Lord of all. And he is the judge of all. You're not. That might be a surprise, but you're not. Next, I love the warning that Janet gave us to not, she just simply just said, don't usurp the position of God. And that's really powerful because I, I think that it's easy to do in our thoughts and our minds if we're not pressing into him and following hard after him. Also, I'm just going to mention, mention these last two things because I loved them. They are bathroom mirror or rear view mirror on a sticky note worthy. Pray for obedience. Maybe you do, and good for you, <laughs> but I don't. I thought about it, and I thought, I don't think I've ever just sat down and thought, Lord, teach me obedience, make me obedient, show me how to be obedient. I try to be obedient, and I strive for it, but I'm not asking the one who can give it to me to help me find it. And I thought, I'm sticking that on a note. Non-essential is just that. It's non-essential. Where to be about the essential. And finally, she said, this is my favorite. Don't be judgy. Be lovey. And I just, that's just it. You see something that makes you think, hmm, just tell yourself, don't be judgy. In Janet's voice, don't be judgy. Be lovey. So, so as we get here, we've learned a lot. Um, this whole book of Romans, is, it's been, we've been at it for a long time, and it's been relevant, and it's been life-changing. So I'm going to start today by reading verses 10 through 12, just because I think it's a good lead way into the rest of 13. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So to finish verse 13, it says, instead of passing judgment on one another, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I wanted to read a little story before I go on. So, I mean, I think we've all heard of Charles Spurgeon. If you haven't, that's okay, but I, I see his devotionals everywhere you go. So there's a story of Charles Spurgeon, and this, this commentator calls him the great preacher. He used to enjoy a good cigar from time to time. He was quite proud of the fact that he smoked cigars. Once he was questioned about his smoking, and he replied, I never smoke in excess. And when asked what that meant, excess, he said, never more than two at a time. <laughs> Spurgeon felt at liberty to light up a stogie. 
until one day he saw a billboard advertisement for cigars, which read, hey, smoke the brand that Spurgeon smokes. From that day onward, he laid them down and never smoked another cigar because he did not want a believer to take on a vice because of his example. We're called to action here, to have a real heart change, to be purposeful, to live mindfully, so that we will not cause another to stumble. Stumbling block is defined as a metaphor, and I'm really glad they defined it as a metaphor, so we're not out trying to get big rocks and carry them and lay them in front of each other, although we might be less likely to stumble each other if we had to go pick up a big rock and drag it around, but regardless, it's a metaphor for a behavior or attitude that leads another to sin or into destructive behavior. We are called to purposefully lay aside our judging hearts and condemning attitudes for the sake of others. Stop sweating the small stuff and live purposefully for Jesus. And pay attention to your own actions and attitudes and how they affect one another. We will each give an account before the Lord. And in my account, it won't be about you. And for you, it won't be about me. I will answer for my own self. I don't know about you, but I expect the world to try to destroy me. But when the stumbling block comes from another believer, that's just not okay. Paul warns us to not participate in any activity that will tempt or mislead a brother or sister. That means if you need to lay down your rights or your liberties, just do it. Follow Jesus' example because he did it for you. I love this because I feel we're given two really good rules to live by. And maybe it's because I'm a mom that these stood out to me. But number one, worry about your own self. As a mom in my home, I was a single mom, so in my home, I was the ultimate authority. Each one of my kids answered to me, and therefore, I did not need them monitoring each other because you're going to give an account to me, not for your brother. Because... You're going to give an answer for yourself to Jesus. He's your ultimate authority. Keep your heart right, your motives pure, and your love undefiled. Number two, you are your sister's keeper. Because if we're living laterally, and I think Janet used the term, I think you were quoting Doug. I don't know, but it was really good. Oh, Joe Fosht. She was quoting Joe Fosht. Either way, so good. (laughs) But if we're living laterally, we'll be sensitive to how we affect those around us. Therefore, keeping each other safe from harm, the the safe from the harm we may cause by exercising our freedoms in Christ. That was a rule in my home as well. Now, while you are not responsible to come and tattle, you were responsible to stop someone from being run over. Bit beat up. In fact, we had a story. Um, my boys came home from school, and I have one of my children. I'm not going to tell you who, but if you know my children, you know which one. He's mouthy. 
this kid, you're laughing because you know exactly who it is. He's a mouthy, and he was at school, and he mouthed off, and a bunch of kids knocked that kid down and chucked bark dust in his clothes. And the boys come home, and they're crying, and so I said, what happened? Well, he was mouthing off. Okay, then what happened? Well, they shoved bark dust in his clothes. Well, what did you do? And we had, there was trouble in our house. Why didn't you stop him, and why didn't you protect him? And I feel like that's how I feel about this. I'm not responsible for walking around and picking you apart for things you feel like you can do, but I am responsible to step in if I see that the world is taking a hold or that you're holding to things that aren't spiritual principles. We need to be living purposefully, and that is love in action. And love is everything. Verse 14 says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. That to me was so profound. By exercising your liberty, you, me, we have the ability to destroy someone who Christ died for. We can hiccup their walk. We can lead them on a path that leads to destruction. We can hurt them. And that person is someone who Christ died for. When I, when I read that, I thought about that. And, you know, I picture the scene from the movie The Passion of the Christ. What a, I don't know if you've seen it. What a hard movie to watch. We see him tried, beaten. Beaten isn't even the right word. We can't even, and they couldn't even portray what he really went through because nothing, I believe, could be that horrific. And why did he do it? Why was he beaten, ridiculed, flogged? Why did he go through all of that? He did, all, he did all that to die the sinner's death, to be buried and raised from the dead to conquer sin for us. Want to talk about laying down your own rights? Tormented and ridiculed, and you use your liberty improperly, and your love has become, if you use your liberty improperly, improperly your love has become past tense. Paul knows our humanity so well that he has to warn us not to destroy each other with our freedoms in Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. We can take someone who Jesus sacrificed himself for and lead them astray. I want to purpose in my heart to be others-minded and to keep my love pure, to worry about my own self, that is to keep myself accountable to Jesus and to be my sister's keeper, even from myself if necessary. I know in my walk that I have hurt others. It's a terrible feeling and it never goes away. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you'll just be driving and think, I did that to someone. And I've been hurt and the same. It's not good. But if we can live purposefully, 
and measure our words and our actions with God's grace and his mercy? If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. So what is unclean? We have in the last two weeks had some great lists of non-essentials. For some that are liberty and for others a strict no-go. We have maybe even ruffled some feathers. I might join in that at some point today. (laughs) This list is not meant to convict, to point a finger. Some of these things I find liberty in and some of them I don't. Just listen and think about how these make you feel. Is it the food you eat? A glass of wine with dinner? A casual cocktail with a girlfriend? The roulette wheel you may spin while on vacation? The cigar you may have from time to time? Don't do that. It stinks. Is it your TV shows? Movies? Do you enjoy secular music? Is it the sports you watch or the sports you play? The concert you attended? Are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Do you get a Christmas tree? Do you have Halloween traditions? Is it your Harry Potter socks? Do you you tattoo? Do you wear jewelry, clothing? Do you Facebook, TikTok, or tweet? We know there are so many things going on around us every day, and there are so many options right now of no spiritual relevance, but they can be decisive, so why engage? We know that these things are not what makes one unclean in and of themselves, but for some, these can be a path to ruin. I want to share a quote from Sandy Adams. He says, the church tends to complain about rock music. They call it, e- they called it evil. But what is the difference between a C note played on the grand piano and a C note played on an electric guitar? Obviously, there's no difference. What makes any form of music good or evil is the message it communicates and the spirit in which it's played. Paul is convinced that nothing in the world is intrinsically evil. It becomes good or bad by how it's used. Its use determines whether it's moral or immoral. One man can use an object for the glory of God, and another can be ensnarled by the same object. The problem is not the object, but the man. We know that these things are not what makes one unclean. What makes them unclean? Matthew 15, 10, Jesus called to the crowd and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. He goes on in verse 16 to say, are you so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach out of the body? But it's the things that come out of a person's mouth from the heart that defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. We know that we can eat whatever we like, but there is more to it than this. This is talking about her liberties in Jesus. While there are so many things that are okay for us to eat, drink, do, and say, if that liberty over love causes someone to stumble, we have lost the action of love. 
and our verb has become past tense. If it's a liberty, if it's a freedom in Christ, then it should be just as easy to restrain as it is to indulge. Joe Foch said, demonstrate by example. I mean, I just loved that. Demonstrate by example. He was just plain and simple. And that was really convicting to me. Because I want to be the example of somebody who can be looked at, who can be followed. I want to be someone who can say, follow me as I follow Jesus, not do as I say, not as I do. Verse 16, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So much of Paul's teaching in Romans 14 is about eating and drinking what is acceptable. Yet the underlying is just as relevant today as when Paul shared it. We are to live for God. And what we do and do not do should come out of a heart of conviction and love, not because of rules and regulations given by others, but because God has revealed something is acceptable before him and we should be confident. We need to be patient and kind and loving with each other without causing harm. And just the same way, we should not allow others the opportunity to judge our freedoms and convictions for, from, that come from the Lord. And I think what Paul is saying here when he says, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So let me ask you a question. Can this be accomplished by not giving the opportunity to be judged, criticized, or receiving contempt? I'm not saying we hide and treat our freedoms like dirty little secrets because they're not. But I think we can enjoy our freedoms in Jesus without flaunting them like a badge of honor or a flag of victory. Or pushing them off on one another like they're good for everyone. Use discernment. Maybe ask ourselves, who does this edify and who can this hurt? The best example that I had was social media. So many people live their lives right out there. It's become a huge part of our culture. And I admit, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but it's very few and far between that I will post or like anything unless it's a scripture, a puppy, a kitten, or a baby. I think sometimes we forget that people are looking at us when we post that cocktail or a politically charged statement or that derogatory meme. And while I can, I'm allowed to, I'm a grown-up. Who does it serve? Who is it building up? And who could it possibly be tearing down? I learned this the hard way. I once posted a picture of a constitutional right that I have. I enjoy the right. I exercise the right. And I posted a, I posted a meme. It was very innocent. But the message that I got back was less than innocent because I hurt somebody with it. Why did I post it? I don't know. It doesn't do anybody any good to know that about me. I don't know. I, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't do social media or don't share your lives. But ask yourself. Ask yourself, who is this serving? Who can I hurt by this? Can a simple, can a picture of a simple liberty trip someone up? You know, convictions are funny. 
because we have our own convictions. What's wrong for me can very well be right for you. And I had years ago, um, I, we had an elder who was going, we were friends who was going to Vegas. And I'm like, oh, what are you going to do in Vegas? It was a family reunion. And I'm like, well, surely you're not going to gamble. And he's like, well, I might. I'm like, well, you can't. He's like, why? Because that's sin. He's like, oh, okay, go get the Bible and pull that up for me. And I was like, well, wait, wait, it's there. I can't believe you don't, I couldn't find it. Um, and so we, ha- we had a sit-down conversation, and he said, on the weekend, I may go to the movies and out to dinner, and my wife will go together, and we may spend $100 going out on a date. He said, so we've decided that we have $50 to do with whatever we want. We can play a penny slot, or we can play this or that. And I was like, okay, I'm not a gambler, and that's fine. You do that. He felt great with it. There was no condemnation for him with the Lord. Go and do it. So <laughs> I was in Vegas for a conference. And I thought, I'm going to do that. I am not going to go to a show. I'm going to take $50, and I'm going to go into the casino. And don't ask her about this, because my daughter always gets mad when I talk about it. She flew down. We were doing Vegas together. We went into the casino, and my $50 that I was budgeted, I was going to go see a Cirque show, but COVID had just started, and things were canceling. So I took my $50. I went into the casino, and I sat at the roulette table, and I cried. I played and I lost $50. Just why are you crying? I'm like, I want $50. And she's like, well, I'm like, oh, I could have done so many things with that. And she's like, what? Like seeing a show? So for her, there's no conviction. For me, I walked around Vegas for two days crying. So the thing is, is we have to remember that our convictions are our convictions. Nobody led me astray in that conviction but myself. Because I'm like, when in Vegas? You know, do it. It was a mistake for me. We couldn't do anything fun for the rest of the game. We're at the, uh, that chef, chef Ramsey's restaurant. It's supposed to be so much fun. I'm just crying behind my menu. She's, my daughter's like, what's wrong? I don't know. I don't know. I have to repent. For what? For nothing. But I broke a conviction that God has given me. And that's what's important. Because while what I did is not inherently sinful, but could you imagine if I took the selfie, spinning the wheel, my Bible study leader gambles. I'm going to Vegas. I have to be careful with what I put out there and with what I do. And I have to stand up to my own convictions. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Our study today ends with this verse. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. If we place food and drink before righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, then we are hopelessly out of touch with God's heart and with his priorities. Don't you want to be about his priorities? Don't you want to be known as a woman who follows his heart? I do. I know you do. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you love us. I thank you, Lord, that as you grow us and mature us and form us, that you help us to tackle 
the hard things, the things that we might not even have ever known could be hard, Lord, but you help us to be conquerors in you, Father God. Make us women about your work. Make us women about your love. Make us women about your hope and your peace and your steadfastness, Father God. Make us women who are willing to surrender for each other. Father God, I pray as we go to our groups that you would minister mightily and boldly to us today, that you would allow us to be iron sharpening iron. I know there are so many nuggets to be shared, Lord, that I just didn't even come close to getting. And I I just pray, Lord, that as we do this in our groups, Lord, that you would minister deeply to us, that you would touch our hearts. And today, we would leave a little more like you. We love you. We praise you in your mighty name. Amen.